have your Bibles, please turn with me to Malachi chapter 2. We're starting in on chapter 2 this morning. And the Lord has, has dealt with the priests, but he really um, focuses his attention in on the priesthood, on the leadership of the people of God, because they're responsible. We're responsible to lead you, to be faithful to God, so that you might be faithful to God. Right? So, so we're an example, and we're teachers, and we're, we're to obey him and love him, that you might look at us and say, okay, that's a man of God. This is what he would have us do. The priests at Malachi time, they weren't doing that at all in any way. That's a big problem, and the Lord addresses that. So Malachi chapter 2, and he does address this in no uncertain terms. And you'll see as we move through this. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord rebukes the priests. And he says this, And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them. Why? Because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away, taken away with it. So you shall know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of the priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have cursed many, I'm sorry, you have caused many to stumble By your instruction, you have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised, the abased before all people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but you show partiality in your instruction. What words of the Lord? Let us bow and pray to him. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you so much. And I pray, Lord, your word, and thank you so much for it, for your instruction, Lord, for your honor, your glory, and your majesty, your holiness and righteousness that needs to be acknowledged, Lord, and needs to be worshipped, Lord God. And I pray that we would do that in spirit and in truth. And I pray, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit on us this morning as we attend to your word. And by your spirit, you would illuminate our hearts, give us understanding, Lord. Help us to be engaged in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives, Lord. That's why we gather with you this morning, that we may know you better, come to know you, Lord, and serve you and honor you as we ought to. So I do pray that you would be with me to bring forth your word, even as all of us sit at the feet of our master, our teacher, our Lord and Savior, even Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen and amen. All right, praise God. All right, this is tough stuff in a lot of ways. Um, When I read this, as 
as Christians, as believers, to see how the priests are acting towards God and just their apathy and how inconsistent they are and even how much they really despise God. It, it should make you angry. When I'm reading this, I'm angry that the priest would behave this way towards the Lord, towards God, towards their creator, towards their maker, and, and, and at the same time, very sad about it because that's, the, that's what they're doing. They're not bringing forth the true instruction, the instruction that you need in order to come to know God better. We're not doing, they weren't doing their duties in a, in a rightful way. So, so you get, I was, I was ticked and sad at the same time because they were so flippant, so irresponsible, so careless. And these are the spiritual leaders. They're the authorities. And yet they so devalued the word of God. They undermine the ministry. They sit in the seat of authority. They set the spiritual tone, and that's why Israel goes, and that's, man, your leaders set the spiritual tone for you. If your leaders are strong in the Lord, that's what you want. That's what you need, because that's going to permeate to the rest of the congregation for the most part, right? They're accountable to God, and they weren't just leading people astray. They were doing that. That, that was bad enough. They were placating other people. Verse 9 tells us they were showing partiality, telling people basically what they wanted to hear. But especially they were dishonoring God, and they, and this is a big deal, and this is kind of the theme of the day, they were degrading his redemptive purposes, his salvation. You know that all of Scripture is about Jesus Christ ultimately. Some places in the Old Testament more prominent than others. But he is, the Scripture is about Christ. How do we know that? What does Jesus say? On the road to Emmaus, that's right. He was telling them, the things in there are written about me. And then starting with Moses, and then the prophets and the history, he taught them about himself from the Old Testament. It's about Christ, and that's so relevant in our passage this morning. I hope it is. I mean, I hope you'll see it, because it's absolutely there. Just two points today, if you're taking notes. The first one is the problem, problems with the priests, the problems with the priests, verses 1 through 4, 8, and 9, and then the pattern for the priests, how they were to obey and follow the Lord. Those will be our two big themes today, but there's a lot underneath that. So first of all, the problem with the priests. This is the root of so many unfruitful and failing ministries. Um, when you see that the pastor's going off or the minister's going off, going astray, so much of it's because they're not doing the basic things that they ought to be doing. Just like these priests, just basic things as priests that they should have been doing, they weren't doing. They were corrupting all that. So verses 1 through 4, um, we read that. The Lord said that he's going to bring a curse upon them. Indeed, he has cursed them already because they didn't lay it to their heart. He's going to rebuke their offspring. He's going to spread dung on their faces. Um, they're going to be washed away with, with their offering. So, verse 4, you shall know that I have sent my command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. Um, then in verse 8 and 9, he says, you have turned aside from the way. You've caused many to stumble by your instruction. You've corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but you show partiality in your instruction. So there's the rebuke. That's the, the problems with, with the priests. They were unfaithful. They weren't doing just basic duties that they needed to do for God in order to, to shepherd the flock, in order to teach the people. And that's a big deal. We know this. It's, it's real plain. Deuteronomy 33.10 tells us, look, here's the job of the priest. They shall teach you, Jacob, your rules and 
They shall teach Jacob your rules and Israel your law. They shall put incense before you and hold burnt offerings on your altar. Levi, uh, Leviticus 10, 10 through 11. You are to distinguish between holy and common and between the unclean and the clean. You are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. He talks about that covenant with Levi. You know that Levi was a tribe that was set apart by God to be what? They were the priests, that's right. They were the, they were the ministers, they were the shepherds. They were um, to, to minister on the behalf of God, to instruct, to teach, to intercede, to consecrate, to offer sacrifice. They were the spiritual leaders, the pastors and the shepherds. And, and here's the big deal. Ultimately, all that they did, all their functions, all their duties was to, was to not only please God, but ultimately to point to salvation in Jesus Christ. Get that straight and understand that now. The whole purpose of the priesthood, as Christ is a great high priest, was to point to that great high priest, to point to Jesus Christ. And all their functions and duty pointed to him as well. That's exactly what they did when the priests were doing it correctly. They represent, the priests represent the priestly office of Jesus Christ. Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. So the priests represent, or were to represent Christ in his priestly office and do the things that ministers are supposed to do for the flock to lead them to Christ. And this is what makes it so bad. The way that they were functioning was so very egregious to God. Do you see the strong language that he says here? Because they weren't doing that, Right? They were offered sick and lame sacrifices. We talked about that in an earlier sermon. They failed to teach the commandments of God. They weren't doing that. Verse 9 said they showed partiality in their instruction. You know what that means? That means they were desirous to please people instead of obeying, a, instead of obeying God. Right? They wanted to tickle the ears of the people. They want to give you what you want to hear. What you want to hear oftentimes isn't what you need to know. Do you understand that? That's why it's tough sometimes being a pastor or a priest or a shepherd because we're obligated to tell the truth of God, whether that sits well with you or not, because it's what you absolutely need. You understand? And the priests weren't doing that. They were showing partiality in their instruction. They were playing favorites. They were compromising the word of God. So in verse 2, God says, I'm going to curse your blessings. Even you think of the blessings, the benedictions, the, the good word. Number 6, 23 through 27, the famous benediction. We know that. But the way that they were delivering, it was just words. There was no substance behind it. So God said, I'm even going to curse your benediction. The good word that you have from me, it's just empty words because of what's in your heart. And then verse 3, check it out. It's just a very, very vivid picture of the rebuke, displeasure, and judgment of God. Look at it. I'm going to say it again. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring, and I will spread dung on your faces. The dung of your... Just, so, just in case you didn't get it the first time, he says it again. The dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away, taken away with that. First of all, he says, I'm going to curse your offspring. You know what that means? So often, um, the, these, these kinds of traits, this is how falsehood, falsehoods perpetuate themselves. They get passed on, just like good things, noble um, attributes get passed on in certain families, but in other families, you know, it just gets passed on, and, and, and those curses go on down through time. You know? So you can think of some political families. 
some of, some of the political families, if, if the fruit is rotten at the top, usually it permeates on down. Oh, that's that guy's nephew. Oh, that guy's son. That's just that family there, right? Just like the mafia. You get the family business. Come on in. You know, it just kind of permeates. It just kind of goes on and on, right, for a long time. And ministries, too. Jimmy Swaggart, now Jimmy Swaggart's son, and this part, you know, it just kind of goes on and on. That's what's going on. You know, that's until you turn to the Lord, that 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 offspring is going to be it's going to be fruitless, and it just adds to the judgment that they are under. And then you think he's harsh when he says, "I'm going to spread that dung in your face." And I don't have to translate that for you. It just says it for itself. I know what you're thinking because that's exactly what it is. And that's what he's saying. Oh, the Bible's so pure. Dude, he's not. He's like right in your, that's what you get. You think that's harsh? Look, all it's doing, it shows how dishonoring, how disrespectful, how disobedient, and how much disdain that the priests had for God, for his people, and for the Savior, Jesus Christ, ultimately. Right? Said, this is, this is how much your sacrifice is worth. I'm going to take the stuff, the entrails, those are the things that would be taken away, brought outside the camp, they would be burned. No, I'm going to take that and I'm going to rub it in your faces because this is how you are treating me. This is your posture towards me and you think you're going to get over by offering? That's not going to happen. That's considered to be unclean. It was not acceptable. Why? Why wasn't it acceptable? There are lots of reasons we've already touched on. They should be honoring God because he's God, because he called them, because he's almighty. But ultimately, here's why it was unacceptable. Because what they were teaching in the sacrifices, in the law, everything that they did, they were to be teaching the truth of the gospel. Do you understand? Now, it would be a nascent form or kind of that veiled, how the New Testament talks about it being veiled. But it's there nevertheless. And when they're acting, and when they're bringing the sick and the lame and the blind offerings, for instance, instead of the spotless offering, the spotless without blemish sacrifice, they weren't just disobeying God. They were doing that. Remember last week, we we looked at the scripture where God said, you need to bring the unblemished lamb, the best one that you have. Not just because God deserves that. He does absolutely. But there's more to that. Because that unblemished lamb, that spotless lamb, that, that whole lamb there points to the perfect, spotless sacrifice, the one without sin, Jesus Christ. That's why they were to do it ultimately. That's why in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, we are told this, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be new lump as you really are um, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. That's why they needed the best they're representing Christ. They're representing the gospel. He, he's the perfect holy sacrifice. First Peter 1.19. But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. That's why they should have been bringing the best, especially. John 1.29. We know John the Baptist's witness. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him. He said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of of the world. Hebrews 9, 13, and 14. For the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify the purification of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from the dead, from dead works 
to serve the living God. You see, he's something better, and that's what they were pointing to, and that's why they needed to bring the best, not just to please God, not just to be, but because it points to the actual Savior who is without spot or blemish, who is without sin. He's the one we need. That's why in Hebrews it said that one-time sacrifice by Christ is all we need. Everything else was not sufficient, but pointed to him. So that's number one. Number two, they failed to instruct to teach the law, right? The law was never about trying to keep it to get to God in the Old Testament. There's never two ways of salvation. How many ways of salvation has there ever been? One, we don't have an Old Testament way of salvation and a New Testament way of salvation. If you hear that, you've got to walk out. You don't, don't listen to that because that's not what the Bible teaches. There's always been and there's only been one way of salvation, and that's through faith in Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, they look forward to Christ through the things that we're talking about today, the sacrifices, the means that God gave them, and they believed by faith. One of those things was the law and the teaching of the law. It was never means of salvation in the Old Testament. And don't think they, they, they were saved that way then. Now it's just by grace alone. They were always saved by grace alone through faith in Christ. The law functions the same way today as it did then. That hasn't changed. The law always showed the need that we have. It always shows how far short we fall. It always gives us knowledge of our sin. That's a big deal when it comes to the law, even the commandments. You look at the commandments and you say, oh, I could do that, I could do that. Yeah, really? Let's think about that. Let's do, you guys have seen, um, who's the evangelist that goes about? Why is his name escaping me? <laughs> Kirk Cameron's his partner. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> but he's always asking questions about the law and the commandments. Have you ever stolen one little thing? Well, of course, you know, a pencil when I was in third grade or whatever. I stole that lunch ticket in fifth grade. You know what that makes you? That makes you a thief, man. And that you've already broken that commandment. That's worthy of hell. Oh, but I'm not really. Yes, you are. You know, have you ever committed adultery? No, I haven't. I've been faithful to my wife. Have you ever lusted after another? Oh, that's another story. See, see, we're law breaking. The law always, we're told in um, uh, Romans chapter 3, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. You can't do good enough. You're not going to try to make it by being good the best you can, trying harder, doing better. No. Since through the law comes knowledge of our sin. You look at I can't do this, man. That's why Christ came. I can't be that person. It was never like, the Old Testament was the same. They couldn't do this. They couldn't keep the law in order to earn God's favor. But all of those who by faith, who were the elect in the Old Testament, they looked forward to Jesus Christ through these things, through the sacrifices, through the law, through the temple, through the, the feasts, through the teachings, all of that. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, David, Ruth, Esther, everybody in Hebrews 11, all the Old Testament saints, they weren't saved by trying to keep the law, but by faith in Christ. Amen? And that what these guys needed to do. That's what the priests, they, they needed to teach the law in that way, we were told earlier that they weren't doing that. They're, not, they're showing favoritism. They're not given the instruction as they ought to be doing. That points to Christ. Yes, also the, the law is certainly a guide for our lives as Christians. We do love the law. Now, we love the commandments. I want, we want to serve the Lord in joy and gladness. We want to be faithful in that way. We ought to want to be faithful in, in that way. 
So it's a guide for our lives. We desire to do his will. I love thy law. So David could say it in the Old Testament. Psalm 119 says this. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. And we could just go on with that psalm because it just speaks to the, the glories of the Lord. But also John 14, 21, Jesus said, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it's he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father. I will love him and I will manifest to myself to him. If we love that law, if we seek to live for him in that way, that shows our trust, our love for the Lord. Listen, the law points to Jesus. He is the law giver as well as the law keeper. He kept it perfectly for sinners like us. Amen? Praise God. That's what they should have been teaching. Jesus is the one without sin. 1 John 3, 5 says this, You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. In him there is no sin. He never broke one of the commandments. Tempted in every way like us, but he never broke one of them for our sake. Amen? Aren't you glad? Aren't you happy? Aren't you thankful that he lived a life that you could never live? John 14, I'm sorry, 1 Peter 2, 22, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Their function as priest was to show this. And they did when they faithfully carried out their duties, which these guys weren't doing at the time. Now do you see why God is so upset? Now do you see why he says, I'm going to take that and rub it on your face? Not only are you dishonoring me, you're, you're tearing away the credibility of Scripture. You're, you're clouding that as well. And what they were doing brings shame to the person and work of Christ. Yes, even in the Old Testament, they were bringing shame to the person and work of Christ. Their function, their duty as priests in that office was to foreshadow and portray and point to the great high priest, even Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Do you understand? That's a big deal. That's why this is here. So that is the problem with the priests, and you can see the rebuke that's there. Next, you have the pattern of the priests. This is the expectation. This is the, these are the expectations. There's nothing, if your priests in the Old Testament, if your pastors and shepherds aren't doing what's here, aren't bringing forth these qualities and, and, and characteristics, then you're in big trouble. And, and you shouldn't accept that because this is, this is the standard for the, for the priests and for the pastors and the ministers, those who would shepherd God's people. I don't understand why people sit under such bad teaching, bad pastors, shoddy shepherds, I just made that up. Um, I said that right, right? (laughs) Um, Yeah, okay? But we do that anyway, various reasons. That's not, you should not be doing that because here's what's expected. This is just a duty. This isn't a big deal. This should be just basic prime level type of teaching and bringing forth, right? Faithful ministers, priests, ought to be doing these things. And there are about eight qualities that I'm going to mention from the text here, verses 5 through 7, because this is what you deserve. This is what God deserves. This is what God expects from his priests in the Old Testament, from his ministers in the New Testament, those who would open the word of God and serve him in order to love you. Number one, uh, let's look at at verses 5 through 7. Well, verse 5, he says, My covenant with him was one of life and peace, I gave, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear. He feared me. He stood in awe of my name. So number one, you need, the priest needed to, and you need ministers who, number one, fear him. 
We're just going to go through these very quickly. We're not going to spend a lot of time on each one of these. But you have to have a person who's behind the pulpit, who's ministering to you, who actually loves God. It might just sound, oh, of course. But you know there are so many ministers who don't really love God, don't really know God. And they're just up there for different reasons, whatever they might be. It's a job to so many. Go to some liberal churches. They don't even believe what the Bible teaches, actually. But that's the way they make a living. That's the way they get paid. That's why they do it. Some are sincerely deceived, and they actually believe what they're, what they're teaching in, in those ways. But they don't love God. You need, number one, leaders who love the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Who are truly saved, who are in awe of him. Like, like the good, I'm sorry, the good priests were. <clears throat> in awe of him. A holy reverence. He knows and loves God. That's number one. Number two, he goes on to say in verse six, true instruction was in his mouth. True instruction was in his mouth. You need pastors that are just authentic. They teach the actual word of God. No alterations to it. They give it to you straight. No no man's imaginations. Oh, I believe it says this, and I think it says that. No, no, this is what it actually says, and here's what you need to know. Deal with it. Wrestle with it. Amen? I was at, I was at Panera working in my office one day not too long ago, and there were a group of women. I don't want to be too hard on them. They were Christian women, but they were doing a Bible study through James, and it was everything I could not to get up. I even texted Kathy Z. I'm like, I wish you were here to talk to these women <laughs> because they're going through James, and they're just saying, well, what this means to me, what I think it says, yeah, and in my situation and with my kids, here's what I need to be, you know, just like, ah, oh, I'm like cringing. They're not exegeting the text at all. They're not. So, um, but I did have to leave. I know it sounds like a cop out, but I was rushed. Anyway, that's the idea. They give true instruction, no alterations, no imaginations. You don't add to it. You don't take away from it. It's the word of God. It's the sword. We don't have to, it, it, it brings conviction. Number three, it goes on to say, a true instruction went in his mouth and no wrong was found on his lips. No wrong. In other words, his teaching, he speaks the truth. And that's hard to do sometimes. When, when you want to please people, when, when, you're afraid, when you fear man more than you fear God, a lot of us can identify with that. You don't want people to be mad at you. You want everybody to like you. You want everybody to respect you. You don't want people to leave the church. So, so you, you kind of, you know, just hedge on the truth just a little bit. You know, kind of, kind of water it down. No, there's no wrong. We teach that which is right, proper, correct, according to the word of God. That, that section, that phrase literally means the law of truth was in his mouth, literally. The law of truth was in his mouth. You're not trying to please in that way. Number four, uh, peace. He says this, true instruction is in his mouth. No wrong was found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. Peace and uprightness. Peace, you want a minister who is actually has peace with the Lord, both in a salvific way, but also in his life, right? Who has that relationship with the Lord that he's dependent upon him. There's peace with him. There's joy. There's favor. There's closeness. You're in agreement with God. Again, you would be surprised how many leaders aren't like that, you know? So many leaders are at enmity with God and, and they're pushing back on his word and disobeying and challenging it. You want ministers, priests that love the, the are at peace with the Lord and, and have that relationship with them. That, are, that, that uprightness, honesty, truth, integrity, without hypocrisy, not double-minded. But you want men who are sure, steady, and true in their faith, not lazy. 
right? That's all. These are just prerequisites. These are the characteristics, but they're prerequisites. And they're just baseline, man. You, th- th- this is what's expected. And number six, he goes on to say, he walked in peace with me in uprightness and turned many from iniquity. Turned many from iniquity. That's turned people away from sins. What do you think we're up here doing? That's, that's so basic and so important. It's just fundamental. That's our goal. The goal, the primary goal for us is the gospel being proclaimed and preached. Right? Prayer made on behalf of people. To, that you would know God, that you would love God, that you would trust God, that you would repent of your sin, that you would believe on Jesus Christ, that you would receive and rest on him alone as he's offered in the gospel. There's nothing more important than we can do than preach the gospel faithfully to you. Yes, we are sinners. We deserve hell. We deserve wrath. But God has so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have, have everlasting life. Right? That he died for sinners like you and me. That's why we're here this morning, man. You know what you were before he saved you, don't you? You know how you were living. You know what was in your mind and in your heart. You're not that person anymore. You're, I'm sure you're not who you want to be completely, but you're not that. And you know to whom you belong. Remember yesterday in our men's group, we talked about that. And we talked about that assurance that we have in him. Turn many away from iniquity. And then number seven. Uh, for his lips, uh, for the lips of the priest should guard knowledge. That's number seven, guard knowledge. We have a duty on behalf of the Lord to protect the truth, to defend the faith, to give an answer for the hope that we have in Christ, to not compromise the word in any way. To, to, I guess this is the popular phrase today, to be the gatekeepers, and we are the gatekeepers of the word of truth. Amen. And we examine these things. We don't back down. We don't go along with the whims of the world. We don't say, oh, well, science has proven and shown. Listen, man, here's what the scripture teaches. And you can't do science apart from the scriptures and apart from God that you're trying to tear down, actually. You understand? So we don't compromise. We don't, you know, we just don't want to sound silly, believe in miracles. Of course we believe in miracles. God is transcendent. He's able to do that. And there's purpose for that and reasons for, for that as well. Why do we believe in the Trinity? Why, why do we believe that Christ is the only way? We defend the truth. We speak to that. You learn that from primarily from here, and it comes to, to you as well. Because then you have a responsibility to do that as well. But you see these things? They're just basic. You're just laying them out. But the priests weren't doing that. The priests at that time were not doing any of this. That's why he's saying, my covenant with Levi, that's, that's, what, that's what a true priest does. That's a priestly function. That's a priestly office. Okay? They're bringing forth the truth. Then number eight, the last one, is to give instruction. Uh, he says this, uh, For the lips of the priest should guard knowledge, and the people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. To give instruction. What do we do? We want to give sound teaching, biblical teaching, expounding on the word of God, expositing the word of God teaching you from the word of God, explaining it, exhorting you, encouraging you to practice, you know, to make application, to see transformation in your life. That's all priestly function. That's what we want to do, all right? That's part of what we're called to do. We need to be teaching you. That's the gift that he's given to us. doesn't mean that some of you are, don't have that gift as well, but in a priestly way, we're teaching you about Christ, about the Christian life, encouraging you to, to live that way. 
Do you understand? You come to us for instruction. You ask questions. To put it simply, I put it like this. Tell them what it means, then tell them what to do in light of what it means. That's it. If you want to just boil it down, we got to tell you, in our terms of our instruction, tell you what the teaching is, and then tell you what you need to do in light of that instruction of the Lord. Right? That's it. That's what a messenger does. That's what the uh, instrument of God, who's truly in God hand, God's hand. He's not self-serving. He's not looking out for himself. He loves the Lord. He loves the people. He's serving God first. And then that flows through to serve people faithfully. Again, it might not always be what you want to hear, but it's going to be what you need to know to keep you out of hell, trusting in Christ, going to heaven, and to live this life as you ought to. You understand? Those are just basics. But you know what? Those basic things are so hard, and they're only found in their fullness in one person. And that's what this text really, if you look at this text, man, he, he is, he goes back and talks to the, about my priesthood. He says, um, verse 5, my covenant was with him. And he's talking about leave, well, in the context he, he talks about um, going to Levi. My covenant of life was, was with him. I gave him peace. It was a covenant. He feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction, and I'm sorry, true instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness. He turned many from iniquity, for his lip, for the lips of the priest should guard knowledge, of the, and the people should seek instruction. For he's a messenger of the Lord of hosts. Now, that goes, again, he's pointing back to the tribe of Levi and where the priesthood began, but he's not speaking of a particular priest. Can't you see? This is beyond the ability of any human priest to do what's said here. He's, it's very personal. Yet he doesn't mention a particular priest. He doesn't say, Aaron was like this. Aaron did this. You know, or, or, or one of the faithful priests did this along the way. He doesn't mention that. He's going back to Levi to the, the model, kind of the, like the heavenly model of what the priesthood should represent. He's definitely doing that. And there were faithful priests, but not this faithful, Right? And this is very personal as well. So while he's going back to Levi and kind of the model of the priesthood, what he's actually doing is going forward and looking to the high priest, even Jesus Christ, who does this perfectly. Because we can go through this list, and these are attributes and characteristics that should be seen by you, but there's not a single man who could do these and carry these out perfectly. Only Jesus can, our great high priest. That's why this points to him ultimately, right? Because he is the one, the one who gives eternal life and makes everlasting peace between sinful man and holy God. We could tell you about Christ, but this is showing you that Christ is the one who does that. Do you understand that? Do you get? He's talking about Christ right there ultimately. True instruction. We're all derivative. We just build on what Christ gives us. That's all we do is we bring on the information and pass it along to you. He's the one who taught with authority. So in Matthew 7, 29, we're told this. 
For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not their scribes. It was the scribes. They were the they were the uh, theologians. They were the ones who had the authority. But even these guys were derived. They weren't teaching like Jesus with that authority. You understand? That's what he's pointing to in Mark 127. And they were all amazed. So that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. That's what's going on here. We, world, he teaches true instruction. No wrong was ever on his lips. What pastor do you know that's never had a wrong on his lips? Certainly not me. <laughs> never, not one time. He is forever right and always true. Jesus, see how this is pointing to Christ? Uh, John 18, you don't have to turn with me. You may if you like, but just to show you this. He's never wrong, not one time. He never needed to be corrected. Wouldn't that be nice? In John 18, check this out, man. He says, <clears throat> he says this, um, beginning in verse 19. And look how ironic this is, like even the text we're, we're looking at in Malachi. But here is the high priest being questioned by the high priest. The high priest questioned Jesus about his, um, his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogue and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard what I said to them. They know what I said. And when he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand and saying, is that how you answer the high priest? And now listen to this. Jesus answered him this. If what I said is wrong, not one wrong thing ever came from his lips. If what I said was wrong, you bear witness. If what I said was wrong, then you tell me. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? He was never wrong. No wrong was ever on his lips. He was always right. This is pointing to Jesus Christ in its fullness. This is what you need to understand. He is. And this is why it's so disgusting when the priests of that day were denigrating the priesthood because they were not only dishonoring God, but they were um, dishonoring redemptive history in Christ Jesus. They weren't functioning properly to show forth Christ, which was their job. Perfect harmony and oneness, obviously. The Father, he's, he's perfectly in, in harmony and oneness with the Father in purpose. He came to do the Father's will, Christ did. He, he turns. See, notice it says this, for true instruction was in, was in his mouth, no wrong thing ever on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, said the Lord. He turned many from their iniquity. See, he, he. Was it Levi? Was it Aaron? Uh -huh. It's Christ. He's the one who turns countless numbers of the elect from sin to salvation, from darkness to light, from death to life, granting faith and repentance regenerating the heart by, by his spirit. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to secure the salvation of all those whom the Father gave to him. He's the one who's, who saves countless. What, what pastor ever saved? We preach the gospel. He embodies the gospel. He saves. He turns countless numbers. He perfectly protects the word. For his lips, the priest should guard knowledge. 
and people should seek instruction from him. He perfectly protects the word of truth. He guards all knowledge. Colossians 2.3 tells us all wisdom and knowledge is found in Jesus Christ. Who is a teacher like Christ? He is the teacher. See, this is pointing to him. We're derivative. We could say this is how Jesus taught. This is what Jesus taught. But he was the teacher. Oh, what, what, who, we've never heard a teaching like this. How can we do this? It's about Jesus Christ. Don't you see? He, perfectly, he was the messenger of the Lord of hosts. He was the one sent by the Father. He is the high priest. He is the perfect sinless sacrifice. He is the lawgiver and the law keeper. He is the only Savior, King Jesus. And as we carry out our duties faithfully, we do point to him. And that's the idea. And that's what these priests weren't doing. It wasn't that they were just dishonoring God. and you know, That was true. But ultimately, they were failing to point to Christ, to preach the gospel, Christ, to show people Christ. Now, as we carry out our duties faithfully, we do point to him. And this is what he expects, nothing less. This is what he demands, and this is what he deserves. Those who would serve him faithfully, dependently and rightly because he is savior he is king do you see why they're rebuked in that way do you see why we need christ so much 